and welcome to Associated, a podcast making venture capital more accessible. My name is Francesca and I'm joined today by my co-host Petra. Hi guys. And we're very excited about our guest this evening. Petra, do you want to do the honors? Yeah, for sure. Um, today we're joined by Sarah Nucku, who is an investor at Dawn Capital. She's a founder of Fem Street, and she's also a member of the operator network of Jane VC. So Sarah, with all those things, do you want to maybe explain a little bit more what you do in each of these different yes. roles? Yeah, of course. Thank you guys for having me. So I'm an investor by day um, at Dawn. We are Europe's largest specialist venture capital firm investing exclusively in B2B software companies. And we have kind of like four core themes we're really excited about. One is data analytics, um, security. Then we're also spending a lot of time on future of work opportunities. And the fourth one is fintech. About 20% of our portfolio is fintech. And I specifically cover the Nordic and the, the German market. So I spend a lot of time traveling. And then by night or most of my evenings, I also spend working on Fem Street, which I started about two years ago. And originally, the idea was just to start a weekly newsletter. And then over time, it has grown into quite a global community. And we're doing loads of offline and online events. Amazing. So um, how did you get into all this tech innovation, deciding to start a newsletter? Which came first, chicken or, or the egg? <laughs> I actually was uh, working in tech for some time. I was working for a French startup called Early Metrics. I built up the German and the UK market for them and then just noticed that I think I was working with them for for two years and over the period of the two years I just realized that there weren't enough female founders and there also weren't a lot of women investors in in Europe at that time which was about 2016-17. And were you in the UK? I was in the UK and um, it was also in 2017 when the Me Too I think area was like really big in the US and women started to speak up about the experience working at larger tech firms or venture capital firms and I just realized that there were a lot of women also sharing a lot of knowledge and I wanted to increase the visibility of these women and yeah just share their kind of like blog posts or experiences online. I had the idea in the park. Um, <laughs> I couldn't, I actually couldn't believe that no one had the idea before to, to just start a newsletter. Um, there was a lot of content from Strictly VC every day. Is, it's covered like in the news or the latest deals are covered. And Metamark Daily at that time was a really big newsletter, which was covering always um, pieces from an investor and operator perspective. And I couldn't believe that no one had thought about doing this from, from a female perspective. So I just started to create this newsletter um, and then kept going for about half a year or one year and then just constantly iterated on it. And that's how I literally built my network in the venture world. And a lot of newsletter subscribers were VCs or founders and they started to reach out and they wanted to meet for coffees. And um, that was ultimately kind of my, my way into the venture universe. Awesome. Um, and between this period, you were um, also at Backed for a while as a venture fellow. What, yeah. what exactly does that mean? Is that like a venture partner role or a scout or? Yeah. Um, so it, it was indeed uh, something like a scout role. I was also a scout for some time. 
I basically was in a transition period from my other role at the startup and and then between Dawn. And I also wanted to spend more time building FemStreet. So the, the team had backed and just offered me the opportunity to spend some time working with them for a couple of months, basically. And it was a fantastic experience for me because I was part of their Monday investing meetings and could basically spend a lot of time with their founders and and get like a grasp around the venture universe, what it actually means to be in that role while I was interviewing at other funds, uh, which was an amazing experience and I think fortunate position to be in. And I think what was exciting was that BackVC is a first time fund and it's really like a startup or operating like a startup as well, but has a really interesting model because they put a lot of emphasis on on building out um, a talent function. And it's very unusual that a, a small seed fund has such a big team just really focusing on founder experience and, and talent, which is really amazing to see. And I, I feel like I, I learned so much and all these things um, I've learned at Backed, I could really apply already at my role at Dawn. And uh, yeah, it was definitely a fantastic experience. Awesome. So just so I got the yeah. order right, you had... Um, two years under your belt working at a startup yeah. and then in the same time you were running the, the newsletter yeah. and then you had a transition period that you were like right I don't want to work at a startup anymore exactly it was three years at a startup um, okay. and while I actually went through various different roles I was a first employee which basically means every six months your role is changing yeah um, which was great also because I was there from like employee number four or five to 70 um, but yes this was kind of like a, the journey and so it was not very planned and even with Femme Street I never had the the idea it was never meant to be like a, a, a big business or like a community it was just um, literally I identified a gap in the market and I wanted to um, solve a problem so yeah it was a very I would say untraditional way into venture yeah and, and what made you decide that venture capital was the route for you obviously mm. with the newsletter um, it helped expose you to that industry because a lot of yeah. startups, I mean, I, I worked at a startup. Yeah. Investors were kind of known as people in the shadows that you had to be kind of scared of sure. as an employee, yeah. not necessarily as a, as a founder. Yeah. So you had that exposure. And, and why were you so interested in, in joining this community or yeah. this, this career path? It, it felt quite like a very natural, I would say, next step. I just really enjoyed spending time with founders and wanted to open more doors um, for them. And if someone had a great idea, I just wanted to yeah, spend more time with them, learn about the market, analyze the business. And and what I really, really loved about venture was it's very people-driven and it, it's very much about relationships and I have the relationships. And I just wanted to make sure that... Um, yeah, it can support more people who actually want to change the world or improve our world and, and open doors for them. So I think that was the initial um, thought process, um, why I actually applied for a lot of like venture roles. And and specifically, why did you pick Dawn in the end? Because it yeah. is kind of an unusual choice or maybe an, mm. an, a more niche choice, B2B software. Uh, if you look at like yeah. the demographic of who's investing and also who's founding these companies, it's not like the most natural or I guess immediate choice when you're like, okay, I'm, I'm getting into venture. A lot 
of people might choose marketplaces or like consumer, which yeah. is, you know, what dominates headlines. Yeah. yeah. And more, if I'm, dare I say it, femstreety. You know <laughs> <what I> mean? <laughs> That's true. It might be very complimentary, but um, to be honest, the software company, the French one I worked at, um, was selling in, in, into businesses as well. So it was always very much um, involved on, on the B2B side and I always loved the B2B. Um, Femstreet obviously is a lot more, I would say, consumerish, um, maybe from the outside world. Now it actually isn't anymore because we launched a software um, and um, I wanted to be actually known for something and wanted to learn to be good at one thing yep. so I think that was the main trigger for me um, and the reason why I liked joining a specialist firm and I think especially if you're a junior investor and you have to meet a lot of companies and you need to cut through the noise it's really really hard to be good at one thing and I think now this role actually allows me to be really good at B2B software or maybe to be known for being good at B2B software over the course of a few years. Um, so I think that was one thing. The other thing was performance of the fund. Dawn has an amazing track record and I wanted to work at a, a fund that um, was um, yeah performing well. Could you tell us a bit more about those businesses that are performing well in the portfolio yeah what, what um, are a few of those that you you I mean, particularly like we we had um we had a fantastic exit with fund one and mimecast security business um a lot of people i think are aware of and in fund two um Izettle was a big success for us um especially me covering um the nordics um it's, it's always great to refer to to Izettle. and then in, another uh, Big, big one is Calibra, which is um, a Belgium data governance business and um, now based in the US and quite mature already. And um, so a lot of like, I would say maybe unsexy businesses um, that are um, rocket ships now. Rocket ships aren't made to be sexy, as far as I know. So that's very good. <laughs> <laughs> so you you were saying you targeted funds, you had a very good track record. Yes, but I one thing I should also maybe add. Um, I met Dawn about ten months before I actually joined the fund, which actually allowed me to spend time with a team. And why I actually also really liked them was because they had women in a senior leadership team. And one thing we have now that has changed also in the last year, one of my co-workers of Kenya has been promoted to partner. And we have um, Mina, my colleague, who's now principal, um, also in the team, who is like extremely senior. So I think that was the main trigger for me. So in terms of companies that you're looking at, is there something that you're particularly on the hunt for that you're, you know, have a have a have a soft spot for? Yeah, I spent a lot of time uh, digging into the future of workspace in the last half a year. That's everything from collaboration tools to really the, I would say, the employee service market. So disrupting service now and into remote work technology and I think we, we've seen a lot of exciting businesses um, coming from the US and I think there's a lot of room for, for European players and to, to win that category. And one thing that really excited me was more in the employee service market. So basically how employees are um, engaging um, within the IT team or the HR department and when they have special requests, for example. Uh, right now, usually most of the IT questions or most of the questions are IT related if you have issues with your payroll or your printer. And a lot of these questions don't really get answered in a an immediate time and so there's a huge opportunity for players there and um, then in general anything related to 
collaboration and making you more efficient at work. I still think a lot of these processes are really inefficient and people are using various different tools and there isn't really a standard um, record of all our documents to search for documents as well. And one of our portfolio companies, Anna, actually solves one of these problems in the enterprise search space. So let's say you as an employee are using Slack, you're using Dropbox and you're using your email, you're sharing documents, messages with all your coworkers and it's becoming increasingly harder to actually remember where you send a message, where you shared a file. And they would basically have a centralized way to um, search function to find all these documents, even if a message has been deleted or if a document even has been deleted and they could actually read through the document. So from a legal and com compliance perspective, that's really, really relevant to companies. So that's, for example, a space that um, is still growing as well. And then um, more linked to FemStreet, but there's also a heavy B2B co component would be more linked to overall the passion economy and how people are building communities and monetizing these communities as well. So there's a lot of, I would say, room for, for companies to grow. Myself, I'm, I'm using Substack to to yeah, to monetize FemStreet. And there's a, a good opportunity to build something with messaging, video, and a newsletter business, which is more content heavy. So I think there are a lot of tools out there which are just point solutions, but there isn't really an end-to-end -end solution at this point that would cover content, messaging, video, Okay, awesome. Um, and in terms of founder qualities, is do, is do you think that all the founders that you guys have invested in have certain, maybe two or three tra traits that they all share? Yeah. Um, and maybe that also relates to characteristics that you look for when you look at a founding team. So usually the founders we back um, in the B2B space, they are quite STEM, from STEM heavy backgrounds. So usually they're very technical. And what we look for usually is domain expertise and we also look for um, software experience so someone who, who knows how to scale a software business maybe has an understanding of the market and how to sell into the customer base but yeah I think if you have deep market knowledge and, and a vision that's I think usually one thing we're really excited about and we need to just generally be aligned in how the, the founder wants to grow the business and, and if we think we can go on this journey together for the next 10 years so I think that's Usually something you can only find out in conversations and you cannot really read in a deck. So you actually need to spend time with the founder to, to figure that out. Okay, so I'm a founder in the future of workspace and mm -hmm. I possess all these qualities mm -hmm. and I reach out to you or you find me through various media channels like maybe Femme Street or yeah. it could be LinkedIn or, or a networking event. What happens? We have a meeting, it goes well. What, what happens next for me? Yeah, um, most cases I would maybe have a call first. Sometimes you'd also come into our office, um, but it rarely happens that we the first touch point is right away meeting. It, it depends. I mean, I cover Nordics in Germany, so it's that's kind of like not usually the case. Let's say you're you're based in London and uh, we want to meet. Then um, we have a first discussion, which is more of a general conversation about the business. And I will tell you about Dawn. And then if we think there's a fit which I think there can be various factors why it might not be a fit at this time, but might be in six months time, or it might be in a year or in a year and a half. Um, then there would be a meeting with another principal, or maybe also with a partner right away. Um, yeah. and, and what happens on, on the other side? So, so you've taken notes, mm -hmm. presumably. Um, yeah. What sort of things are you jotting down for the principal to, to read? Yeah. So we usually, 
in this first discussion, it's it's about the team. We were discussing the product. I am I'm trying to figure out where you are when it comes to attraction. At Dawn, we invested series A and B. So usually at this point, you have a good idea about um, yeah your customers and what they like about the product, and, and you actually know your numbers. Um, so I think that's it's quite a, quite important. Uh, it can be numbers are important for us at dawn we need to have attraction and, and the validation as well and you need to have an indication of product market fit i think that's um really really important for us and i, I need to have the a good grasp about okay is it the right time now to actually mention it at the monday partner meeting and then we would decide if we want to go into another meeting and how that actually looks like is that i would maybe prepare a brief summary of five to 10 minutes about the business and present it to everyone in the team. And then we would have a discussion and then decide about next steps. And and so I think that that's a really interesting mm. um, description. Yeah. And I think not everyone knows this, but um, to, to sort of add on to that, because I do spend a lot of time sort of pitching on behalf of, of startups, what are the sort of things that you think are like, Thank goodness that person has sent me because that is like the punchline that's going to get the partners interested. Because it, it is for us, we are selling on behalf of, yeah. I mean, I think some founders don't know how valuable it is to to talk to associates and analysts. They are the people that are going to be your, your spokesperson. Yeah. Um, so what are the things you're like, just please give me this information? Or you get an email just before that meeting, you go, excellent, this is going to make sure that this business come gets to the next step numbers okay so numbers do you want to elaborate a little bit more on what that means yeah and i need to understand where the business has come from and how fast it has grown in the last year and, and where they want to get to i think that's that's really really important and and how they they want to get to this next number as well and um i think without numbers it's, it's really really hard to get a good understanding if, if the business is actually um, working out right now because it's a good validation that there is a need um, f from, from the customer. And sometimes we're not going any further maybe because it's a Series A, but we have done a lot of Series A in that fund already and we kind of like want to focus more on Series Bs. Or it might be the other way around that we have done a lot of Series Bs and Series C investments and want to focus more on Series As. Or it might be really, really early for us um, and we we kind of like want to wait another half a year or, or see more validation. and Or it, maybe we don't know the space so well. Or maybe we've bad experience from, from previous investments. So it could be a lot of reasons sometimes why the stars are maybe not so aligned. Um, or also maybe because we're looking at a lot of businesses at the same time that are at series A level. So we need to make decisions on which one we take further or not. Um, that's, I think, sometimes quite, quite sad as well because the, the timing is a huge element or we're too late to the process. Okay. I also thought it was interesting that you brought up the point around, you know, doing a certain amount of series A versus series B. Mm. And I don't think that a lot of people mention that or could necessarily communicate that. But fund economics is like a huge yep. um, reasoning often why sometimes companies get passed up on. Yep. And sometimes there's absolutely nothing wrong with the business, but it just doesn't match the current fund model. Um, yep, for sure. Sometimes I wish also we would do maybe more late seed round or pre-series A rounds. 
Um, it, it's just not um, like who we are. But sometimes I think I you meet maybe a great founder and you think like, oh, I really want to do this now. Um, but yeah, you have to be, I think, true to yourself as well or what you tell to your LP so I think um, it's not always easy and founders not always understand also when you say it's too early for us uh, what that actually means and what we actually promise our LPs as well we will will be doing what is your USP what what is the things that that you sell to founders as as you said you're you're in the mix of Mm. of bidding for a company now what are the things that you're saying right I can I can really help you take your business to the next level because at the moment quite frankly there's money in a lot of places so when the good deals come you're you're bidding against many other very good funds and there's a lot in London exactly and that's why it's so good if you're a specialist venture capital firm because we actually know our stuff and we would not compare the founder to a marketplace business or to a pizza delivery business um it's it's true it's really we know what does it mean to to scale a, a software business um to go to the new market to go to the US and uh, what does it mean to actually scale all your processes and bring the right people on board and we've been through this like many many times and there aren't many European investors that actually have the expertise in, in that field and, and usually also we, we team up with American funds um, at Series B so we're very friendly um, and yeah our USB is really that we're a specialist venture capital firm. <laughs> awesome so does that mean that you're global you can invest no we only invest in europe oh okay but you you're happy to team up with a u.s company is that because no not a u.s u.s fund u.s fund yep. okay interesting so, so basically all our companies usually would go to the u.s after series a okay so you've got really good connections in exactly. the u.s that you can sort of pair up exactly. with to help so we're push. very i would say american or u.s focused as well could you give me an example of a company that you've kind of helped launch in the US? Yeah. Um, so one of our portfolio companies called Honor um, is, is now based in New York, uh, originally from Barcelona. Um, we we led their Series A earlier last year. Um, and then another business based out of, um, I think, Chicago is Showpad, a Belgian business originally we, we backed in, in 2014-15, um, is also based in the US. Actually, the majority of our investments are now in the US. Calibra is based in New York, and Dataiku is based in New York, the French business. Um, so we, we're kind of like always part of, of that journey and have built up a strong network also when it comes to follow-on rounds. Mm. We work very closely with a lot of American funds like Inside and Battery Ventures. Yeah, and and just to add to that, because I know Fem Street's kind of got yeah quite a lot of US followers as well. Exactly. And, and you were saying before we started that actually Fem Street is also a value value add that you can offer yeah. to founders. Exactly. Um, so about fifty percent of the audience um, of Fem Street are based in the US, and a lot of American VCs are like reading it every week and really very committed as part of the community so that's been been really great and and obviously that's also helpful when it comes to um yeah giving more exposure to our portfolio um, to the kind of u.s venture world or helping them hire attract new talent last summer organized um, an event in new york at the office of Templify, which is one of our Danish investments and opened up very successfully the office, I think about two years ago in New York. And it was fantastic to bring both worlds together, our portfolio and, and the Fem Street community. We had about 75, not just women, on the rooftop and had, yeah, it was just amazing. And I'm trying to do that a lot more. 
just bridging both communities and bringing people together from a product or sales and marketing background and not just founders as well. Um, I actually had a question going back to the geographies that you cover. So you're, you cover or you fly between London, Stockholm and Berlin mainly. Yeah, or, exactly. Okay. I'd say these regions, I've spent probably most of my time in, in Copenhagen. I'm going to Copenhagen okay. on Wednesday and um, we, we have a fantastic track record in the Nordic. So I think about eight, nine active portfolio companies. Oh, okay. So I have, so my question is a little bit biased. I have a particular interest in the German market. And so when I think about like Berlin, for example, my immediate thought is e-commerce, marketplaces. It's not the first place that I think about, like when when I think about SaaS and and B2B SaaS. So do you have a a particular view about where Berlin is headed? Has like the founder ecosystem changed a little bit? Yeah, we definitely gone through, I think, a different period. Maybe 2014, 15 was a lot more e-commerce heavy. And but just to actually come back to your point of Berlin, um, the Munich venture ecosystem, for example, also is extremely um, advanced now. And um, this area actually is a lot more, or at least in, in southern Germany, is where a lot of like um, large industrial businesses are based. And a lot of founders um, in the B2B world, they were working at the SAPs or maybe just in, in manufacturing before or at large consulting firms. And um, they are building a lot of B2B businesses. So I think uh, it's a lot of things are changing and they would still be based in Berlin just because it's a very good ecosystem or a good city or hub to, to start a business. So I think we're, we're going also through like a second wave of, of European operators and, and founders now. So maybe you, the founder was previously an executive or a product person or a growth person at another startup. And now they're starting their own businesses and um, just coming out with a lot of learnings and Sometimes I meet a founder who has been working for a consumer business before, but now he's starting a B2B business. And I think Rocket Internet really shaped also the, the, the German venture landscape, but it doesn't mean that everyone now is only into consumer. So I think we've seen a lot of successes also with, with B2B in Europe. If we look at Adyen, Izettel, there have been, in I think the last two years, a lot of successful or large B2B venture financing rounds. And uh, it's a very exciting time. Absolutely. So yeah. you're very busy, basically covering <laughs> all those areas and Fem Street. How how do you see yourself kind of developing both those strands? Because mm. they're obviously very both those things are very important to you. Yeah. Um, and how do you see them progressing? Yeah, I think I I found a good rhythm for Fem Street. It's it's relatively scalable. It depends on how many more things I want to do. There's always more I can do. So I think it's about priorities. It's about really, I can't meet everyone. I can't just have a call with someone if I don't really see there's a clear objective um, for me, which is sometimes sad. But it, it's just that I really need to make a clear difference between my work during the week, which is, is mainly Dawn related and I'm 100 or 110% just Sarah at Dawn. And then sometimes during the night or on the weekend, um, I'm more focused on Femme Street. Sometimes these worlds, they unite and um, it, it makes a lot of sense. And overall, I think there is a common, um, common objective. Um, it's sometimes not easy, but I feel like I have it under control and there's a good, um, balance on how I spend my time on, on what. 
Exactly. You can kind of have a founder story um, of starting Femme Street and also an investor story. Yeah, I think it's it's great because now that we also launched a membership in November, actually, I feel like I have a lot more learnings when it comes to launching my own business model and tracking my business. So um, I'm also sitting there sometimes or like looking into my numbers and my churn and I have a SaaS business now. So um, yeah, I mean, last weekend I was actually looking into chart mogul and creating all my charts and then all my reporting. I was like, yeah, that's great. <laughs> um, but I figured out, you know, it probably takes about six months time until like your data is actually validated. So, um, but it's great to actually dig a bit deeper into um, building this, building a business and, and learnings and thinking about how to grow this and with actually no money. So if I'm sure it's completely bootstrapped, I've not spent any money on marketing. I've, I've spent money on having MailChimp, so I, but otherwise nothing. What do you think are, are some of the biggest challenges in being a VC versus being a founder? Um, it's a lot harder to be a founder than being a VC for sure. Um, it's, I think one thing that is hard as a founder is really hard. It depends on how your team is structured, obviously, but quite often you're in the early days, um, you're not really, no one really would challenge you. Maybe you're, it's a lot about what you achieve, what you think about, what you is the right thing. And I experienced the same with Femme Street that it's, it's you on your own. It can be quite lonely. Your team, even if you're managing a team of 10, I see sometimes founders, they still have to make all these decisions by themselves and no one is telling them what to do next. And that's why it's so important that you actually have a good executive team around you and different level of experience um, that can bring you forward. So I, th I think as a founder, it's generally, it, it just gets harder and harder. I think sometimes the, the more mature the business gets. I think sometimes you say, oh, it's so easy to, to raise more money once you have the good numbers and you're growing. But I think in the early days, people or VCs maybe back you because of the amazing vision you have and, and your experience. But the more later stage you get or more mature the business becomes, the more people um, will kind of look into your numbers and the, the, how fast you grow your business and then the people that you bring on board and the culture you're building as well. So it's becoming increasingly harder maybe to raise more money as well and to grow. And so I think that's another thing. And being a VC, I'm getting paid to learn a lot, uh, which is also, I think, we're it's an apprenticeship, right? So you're constantly learning about new things and meeting with people. I'm getting basically paid to also build a network, which I feel like is extremely, yeah, I'm very privileged, I think, also to to get paid to spend time with a founder and, and learn about how, how he thinks about the or she thinks about the world. And I think it's... a yeah, I personally think it's one of the best jobs in the world, uh, at, least, at least at this point for me. Um, so, yeah, it's tough to be founder. <laughs> so um, on that point of that it is a real privileged job to mm -hmm. work at one of the top funds in, in London, um, how would you recommend getting into it? Yeah, I think one thing I always recommend people is that they should find maybe a niche one thing they're really, really good at, and it might not be a newsletter, it might be a podcast, it might be writing about something, I can really encourage everyone to start writing. It doesn't have to be about companies or business. It can just be that you you know one space really, really well, and that would kind of like differentiate you from, from other people in, in the team. 
I think VC is, it's a tough industry to break into. You really need to be analytical. There's no way around it, I think. You need to be kind of like interested in analyzing businesses. It's um, it's really, really hard, I think, for people to break into that don't have any financial or business background at all. Um, if they have a great network or they have a really deep product understanding, I think it's, it's maybe slightly easier. But still, I can just build trying to build your brand and I think that's something that's really really hard and it also it's something that's really really takes a lot of time and it's hard to measure um but that's something you you can do I think in today's world uh, on on Twitter or just starting a, a blog and and I think one thing that really helped me when I was interviewing and I didn't go to I didn't do banking I didn't do consulting and I didn't go to Oxford or Cambridge I think one thing that really helped me that I was always over prepared for everything I I also had to go through various interviews I think it took me about half a year to land a VC job and really helped me to just all of these interviews they were just like like lessons for me I learned so much in every other round and just take the information out of it like just learn a lot and then prepare prepare over prepare everything stalk people you're meeting and prepare a ton of companies and just be very very specific about each of the funds you you kind of like speaking to that you know them inside out if you're speaking to a fund that only does um, energy investments or like don't mention something that's not relevant for them or like it for us adorn you don't really need to come up with a marketplace because we don't do marketplace investments um so i think it's really really just do your homework. I think that's that's one thing that people usually underestimate. And, um, and st I'm still surprised sometimes when we're interviewing people that they have not done their homework. And um, it really happens a lot. But but find, I think, find also try to figure out what you're good at that other team members might not be so good at or where you think the fund lacks or is currently not so good at. That's a good one. Um at Dawn, for example, um, I know I'm a lot better when it comes to all things marketing and brand. And everyone else in the team has a lot of other strength, and which I don't have. So I bring this to our team, and which also means I'm heavily involved in a few internal projects. Um, but yeah, try to find that one single niche. Brilliant. Well, while talking, you mentioned Twitter there is a really good platform. So um, should we go on to question time? Because someone submitted a really good question. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so Lucy Hater, congratulations, Lucy, um, has asked, uh, hi, Sarah, can't wait to listen to the episode. When do you think is the best time to look for investment? I've just launched the Gut Feeling health-based business yesterday and would love to know your thoughts. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a perfect example of um, that she just launched. Um, so obviously it's hugely exciting when you launch and I'm pretty sure she put a lot of like work into this. I think we all know this when you're spending nights and days and working for something. Um, and then I think what's really important is that you want to start building relationships with the right people early. So pick maybe 10 funds that are really, really relevant, have previous experience in, in that field and, and know the market that would understand your language and the problem. So you don't need to convince them that there is really a problem um, for for the market you're in or, yeah, and that your solution is the right one. So I would really recommend um, having a list of, of 10 funds that are relevant for you and that would invest maybe at, at pre-seed or in seed. At dawn, you wouldn't be maybe relevant because uh, we just invest at a lot later stage when you already have proven out that 
the business model works and, and customers love the product. So I think that's, um, and I think then you, you just reach out to the, to the, to the right people. Great. Um, final question. Are you guys hiring right now? We are actually not hiring anymore. I think we were, we just completed our hiring process. Okay. Yeah. Got it. But I do know that you guys use recruiters. Is that right? Sometimes. Yes. Yeah. So which, which recruiters do you use so that people can sign up to them? Kia. <laughs> yes. Kia, I think is a very good one. Um, and, um, K-E-A Yes, exactly. K-E-A consultants. Freddie, I think, is your go-to person there. <laughs> Hi, Freddie. <laughs> <laughs> Great. And actually, one more. Sorry, we lied. Um, how do people get in touch with you? Um, very easy. You can just tweet me at Sarah Noeckel or at Fem Street, which is probably a bit easier for you. Um, or you just email me and reach out via Fem Street. So that's usually very easy. And I try to apply as many emails as possible. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was really great speaking to you guys. Thanks, Sarah. It's been great to have you. Thank you. Great. Um, so thanks so much, everyone, for joining and listening in. As always, please subscribe to our Twitter feed at associated underscore pod and write to us at associatedpodcasts at gmail.com. As always, we're so excited when you guys write to us and we're super happy to always read your emails. Bye.